Bronte in lane two, in between them is Manuel of the USA. She's the threat at the moment. Oh, look, there's quite a few lining up now. This is not clear cut at all. And it's going to be Manuel in lane three. Olympic record, Manuel. No, Alexiak. We've got. It's a dead heat. Dead heat. Oh, my goodness. We have dual Olympic champions in the 100 freestyle. Oh, my goodness. She's just seen it. Alexiak. <laughs> Olympic record, but also a gold medal. 52.7 for Alexiak. Do you remember what you were doing at age 15? For me, I know it wasn't much. I spent more time trying to make my classmates laugh than offering anything of compelling value in the classroom. After school, we played pickup sports. We loved our Montreal sports teams. Oh, well, at 15, I'm obsessed with girls and music. The only real thing I accomplished was growing from five foot one at the beginning of grade nine to five nine in grade 10. I loved being a teenager, pimples and all. We hung out at parks. I remember flipping a penknife on a park bench and playing this weird game of baseball. People like Rob Johnson, Mike Whalen, and Bill Burke are still my close friends. But I was just a teenager. I wasn't thinking about my path in life. My guest today, well, she lives a very different life. At age 15, she was the first Canadian to win four medals at the Olympic Summer Games, including a gold and silver. The first athlete born in the 2000s to claim an Olympic medal in an individual sport. She's got a silver, she's got two bronze, and Alexiak has the gold medal! She went from being unknown to a household name and with it, all the pressures and commitments that come with it, including, is this really how I want to spend my life? I know my friends sometimes are like, oh, how weird is it when someone comes up to you at like shoppers and asks for a photo? I'm like, I don't know, it's not that weird. Like, if I saw someone that I looked up to too, I would really hope that they would like be nice about it, talk to me, take the photo. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Her name is Penny Olesiak, and she sets her sights in the upcoming Summer Olympic Games, and she joins me in Chatter That Matters to share her story. Penny, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Thank you so much. Your parents are natural athletes. I was yes. reading about your family, and it's, it's the whole family's just blessed with this great athletic ability. What's that like growing up in a home where around the family table, somebody's probably talking about a medal they've won or a ribbon or an accomplishment? Um, we honestly never really talk about that kind of stuff when we're at home. I think almost like kind of normal for us to be high performance athletes and to be professional athletes. I think my brother and I, we never really talk about anything that has to do with our sports and my family kind of knows that when we go to the cottage or when we hang out, it's always just us trying to like enjoy our time and relax, not really have too many conversations about anything like that. So I also doing some research found out that you tried to join several swimming clubs at the beginning, but the mythology is you were rejected because you couldn't swim the length of the pool. Is that, is that right? I don't think it was a couldn't swim the length of the pool. It was more so I just didn't really know how to like be a competitive swimmer. I really wanted to get into it, but I didn't know what the strokes really were or like how to do kicks or anything like that. It was all pretty foreign to me. So the swimming coaches that turned you down, are they kind of as infamous as Richard Paul Rowe, who the DECA record executive that said no to the Beatles? 
Uh, I don't think so. I think it's just kind of something everyone knows, but um, I don't know. I'm happy that I ended up where I ended up because I don't think I would have been where I was without the coaches I had. So you ended up with Gary Nolden at the Toronto Olympian swim team. So what did he see in you? I think he saw my dad, who was like six foot eight. And I think he was like, okay, she's going to be tall. We need to get her in the water. How important is it at that age to have somebody beyond just your parents and siblings believe in you and kind of say, this is somebody that I would love to, to, to be involved with and coach? It was really motivating for me, I think, knowing that I had both Gary and when I moved on a few years later to Bill O'Toole, I think they were both very, very supportive of kind of everything that I was doing. And they always saw my potential, which really helped a lot. I think that's something that really pushed me and motivated me to be a better athlete. What made you make that move from one coach to another? Honestly, it was Gary. He sat me down because I had qualified for age group nationals. My first one when I was, I think, 12. He sat me down and he was just like, you have to go to a bigger club because we don't have enough people qualified to go to that meet. So he sent me to Bill and I went on to a bit of a bigger club. When you go to that bigger club, from what I understand, you kind of went from being one of many to someone that they really started to invest on. When did that kind of happen where people saw that you were more than just capable in the water, that you were capable of becoming a world-class champion? That kind of switched when um, I met Ben. I started training with Ben kind of around when I was 11 or 12. He also saw what everyone else saw, which was a tall girl. <laughs> He saw my potential and I don't think he thought I was going to get as fast as I did as quickly as I did. He really supported me through those like few years when I was like 12 to 15, 16. And he really like focused on making me better, which was really helpful. <laughs> when you're that 12, 13 or 14, are you swimming for yourself or are you swimming for the affirmation of your parents or because the coaches have invested in you? I mean, where, where, where does that motivation come that says I'm doing this because I want to do it versus maybe because I'm making other people proud and happy? I think for me, I just love racing and I really love winning races, I guess. So getting to train with those older girls who were already on the national team when I was like, 13 years old, 12 years old. I think that really motivated me because every day I was trying to catch them or beat them. And also you do definitely have to have a little bit of push from your parents or your coach or whatever, because I know when I was 15, I wanted to go hang out with my friends and everything. And my dad would always kind of keep me on track a little bit and tell me that you have to make sacrifices to be better. And it was a little bit of my own motivation, but also my parents still instilling some. Um, high-performance athlete mentality in me as well. You were also excelling at gymnastics and competitive dance. And both of those are kind of dry sports. You know, you see the fans, the energy, the crowd. Why did you choose swimming over the other two sports? Honestly, I think it's so hard for me to go back because I kind of quit pretty early. But I remember my ballet coach when I was doing dance and swimming at the same time, she told me she was like, you have to pick one or the other. You can't be good at both. And I think that kind of just pushed me to like, okay, then I'm done with dance. So 2014 at the Canadian Age Group Championships, you're 14, win 10 individual medals, five gold, three silver, two bronze, setting a personal best in each race. 
Did you think at that time then that you could become the best in Canada? Did you start realizing that you could become the world's best? Not really, honestly. I think, I don't know, my sister and I kind of talk about it and we joke about it that people ask her like, oh my gosh, did Penny always dream of going to the Olympics and everything like that? And we always joke about the fact that I never really talked about that. I never really, I kind of just would swim and I had fun doing it and I would win events and stuff. And that was really cool for me, but I was always enjoying it in the moment. And I think even leading up to the Olympics, I remember making a team and I called my sister and I was like, oh, I'm going to the Olympics this summer. And she was just like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, good for you, you know? That is a high, that is a high performance family if that's just, yeah. you know, that's kind of cool. I, I just enjoyed getting better. So that was kind of that for me. I also want to go back to 2015. You fracture your elbow in the Olympics or a year away. So how did that feel when you realized, because I would have to imagine as a swimmer that your elbow is pretty important. That was actually, I think, eight weeks out from junior worlds. At this point, I wasn't even like the Olympics weren't even on my horizon. I was just like, oh my gosh, junior worlds is in eight weeks and I just broke my elbow. My mom was like, there's no way you can go. Sitting down with Bill and Ben and being like, should I go to world juniors? Is it worth it? And Ben was like, are you kidding me? Of course you're going. And he just pretty much got me in the pool right away. And we just did kick sets. We got me ready for world juniors. And I went and I performed pretty well there. And well, you didn't just do pretty well. You got a gold in the mix for 100, silver in your signature 100 meter freestyle event, silver in the 50 and 100 meter butterfly, a silver in the four by 200 relay, and a bronze in the four 100 meter freestyle. That's not bad with a fractured elbow. I didn't have any complaints. When I was there, I honestly forgot I had fractured my elbow. I was kind of annoyed not getting more gold. <laughs> Alexiak says, it's a tie, it's a tie. They're calling it a tie, 52.7, Manuel and Alexiak. I thought Manuel had the touch, very, very good touch by Alexiak. Tie. Honestly, the last 15 meters, I put my head down and I bit my lip and I was just going as hard as I could. Chatter that matters with Tony Chapman continues. Today I'm chatting with Penny Alexiak. The Rio 2016 Olympic Games, 15-year-old Penny wins four medals, including a gold in the 100-meter freestyle. Her time was an Olympic record, Canadian record, and world junior record. She became the first Olympic champion born in the 2000s. You go to the Olympics and the interviews I watched of you, and it's, you must go back and look, I was that adorable, awkward teenager. <laughs> and you're going in there and you said, I had no expectations. Does that help you? When you're going in there going, I'm just going to swim the way I can swim versus having the entire world pay attention to you? Um, yeah, I think that is even something I realize now when I go into races and I'm kind of just having fun, listening to music, not really thinking too much about the race. Those are when I usually have my best races and when they feel the easiest. Going into the Rio Olympics, I didn't have any expectations. I was really excited to honestly not make a final for the first time and get to like cheer in the stands with everyone and wear face tattoos and everything. But um, unfortunately, I did not get to do that when I was there. But even the trials before the Olympics, I also didn't have any expectations. I was hoping to maybe be an alternate on one of the relays and I ended up making it in all the events I swam. There's no other Canadian that's won more Olympic medals in a single summer game. Rio was incredible. You accomplished all of this. And what I remember watching the closing ceremonies is you walking with the flag. Representing a host of nations, 207 delegations in total that are being represented as they march into the Maracanã, spiritual home of Brazilian football, world football indeed. 
That must have been one of the most incredible moments. In, in as much as your family kind of shrugs their shoulders, there must have been incredible pride that this young kid who came to the Olympics not expecting much gets the flag for what all that you accomplished. And not only just for you and your swim club, but just setting the tone for the entire Olympics for all other Canadian athletes. Yeah, it was pretty weird for me, honestly. I, I um, It was honestly all overwhelming. I don't think I really realized what had happened when I was at the Olympics. I remember I like flew home right after I was done racing before the closing ceremonies. And my mom was like, no, you have to stay in Rio because like they probably want you to be the flag bearer. And I was like, no, like someone else is going to get more medals at one point. Like they're probably going to get someone else to be the flag bearer. I was like, I'll just come home to Toronto and like go to Wonderland. That's all I want to do. And my mom was like, you are literally insane. And so I flew home. I was home for a day and a half, maybe two days. And then I flew back to Rio to do the flag closing ceremony. And it was now looking back the biggest deal ever. But when I was in the moment, I was like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I imagine that. I mean, it's uh, but what's it like to be in that stadium filled with athletes around the world? I mean, that's where humanity's at its best, isn't it? The Olympics where, yes, you're competing against each other, but there really is a common spirit that everybody has done so much to get there and they're marching together. It must be just magical. Yeah, it's honestly really fun. And it's hard to describe because there's just so much happening in such a little amount of time. And you're like constantly doing something and meeting people and seeing different world-class athletes and it, it's just a crazy experience. What's the culture like in the Olympic village where athletes from all over the, the world are there? Does it, is it a sense of mutual respect? Is it people wanting to get to know each other or are you just kind of supposed to just stay with your country or your, the area you're competing in? When I was 16, I was kind of just going around the village. They had bikes. I would go and bike with different people from different sports. I was meeting so many people and for me, it was just like fun to go around and see all these really, really insanely high performance athletes. I mean, at the time, I didn't really know of as many athletes as I do now. So I think now when I go, I'm going to see certain people and literally be speechless. But when I was younger, I was going talking to everyone. I didn't really know who anyone was. And I was making a lot of friends. And it was always super fun and super welcoming all the time. So what happens when you return? What did you like the best about Penny? And what did you like the least in terms of what was expected on you and how you had to, you know, be a certain way? The best thing was just all the opportunities I got with different partners, with getting to do so many things that I would never have experienced if I hadn't done what I did at the Olympics. But um, I can't believe half of the stuff I've done. It's insane to me because... I can barely remember my life before the Olympics now because of everything that I've been able to do. But I think the worst is just like kind of trying to deal with the pressure of everything at such a young age um, really takes a toll on you. And it really is just hard to navigate and it's really frustrating and um, it's a lot to deal with. Uh, I think now looking back, I have a lot more sympathy for myself than in the moment. I was just always so like angry and frustrated and just annoyed all the time. Well, I mean, you, listen, I'm a father of two daughters and you're, you know, 15, 16, 17. These are formative years. I mean, you're changing in so many different ways. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you have given to Penny a couple of weeks after she came back from Rio? I'd honestly probably just tell her that you don't have to be the perfect poster child for everything. 
every time I left my house, I almost had to put on a like different face to make sure that I could walk around and I would always be very proper and I would carry myself a certain way. And I would hang around my friends that weren't as loud or weren't as like uh, going because it was just safer for me because you never know who's there, who knows you, who is going to tweet something about you, say something about you. So it was just frustrating having that. Um, I don't know. I just having that thought in the back of my head all the time when I'm like 16 years old, trying to figure enough out already. And I think I just tell myself like, calm down. It's going to be okay. Just enjoy yourself. How do you stay motivated as well. I mean, you've come back, you're certainly looking ahead, but it's four years to the next Olympics. I know there's lots of incredible competitions in between, but that's a long time. Somebody that doesn't win the masters knows that 365 days later, they're going to have another shot at it. How does an Olympic athlete keep that end game in mind over that really long period, especially at your age? I mean, 16 to 20 is a quarter of your life. I think that's something I'm honestly still figuring out. And right now, around now, I've kind of just figured out. I think it's taken me the last five years as kind of a trial run. And hopefully I'll be more ready for the next three after this. Um, it's a roller coaster. And I think it's really hard to navigate. And it's difficult. So I think right now I've kind of figured it out a little bit and figured out what I hope is going to be best for me that I'm going to try and execute after this Olympics. So I'll be ready for the next one, but you also never know. <laughs> 2018, sort of midpoint before the Olympics get postponed, you talk about how often you were crying. You weren't happy. You weren't in the groove. You weren't happy with your swimming. You weren't happy with your life. And I'm not saying in a drastic sense, but you just weren't in a great place. And you even take off the Pan Pacific Games. Take us back to that time because that's that's the midpoint, and you've got to make a, I guess a major life decision. Is this really worth pursuing? Because if you're not happy like you used to be, how did you find a way to say I'm going to continue to do this and find my way back? I think it was just at a point where. I had so much pressure on myself and so many expectations for myself that I wasn't happy with anything that I was doing and nothing was ever really good enough for myself. And um, I think it was just trying to like push through that period of no matter how fast I swim, no matter how hard I train, it's never going to be good enough. And if you don't have that confidence, then there's pretty much no chance that you're going to race fast. And that was really hard for me to come to terms with as I just didn't have any confidence in myself after that. When we come back, Penny Oleksiak explains how she's able to reconnect with the drive and commitment necessary to own the podium once again. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. Tokyo Olympics are right around the corner, and my guest this week is Penny Oleksiak. Speaking of the Olympics, a big shout out to RBC for Training Ground. Working with experts, they identify young athletes with Olympic potential and provide the resources they need to achieve their dreams. Canadian athletes owning the podium, well, that matters to RBC. I don't know. I think I just realized that I needed time to myself. I had spent all 2016 to 2018 doing media, doing so many things that I like sometimes didn't want to do. I was training all the time. I 
was just trying to get through this journey and I had no idea what I was doing. I was like 16. My parents had never dealt with a athlete that needs agents and sponsors and everything like that. So I think it was just kind of getting through all of that and figuring it out. And I just needed a break to kind of reset. And I think once I did that, it was really transformative for me and helped me kind of break through and find my motivation again. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman continues. Welcome back to Chatter That Matters presented by RBC. I'm chatting with Penny Olesiak, who at age 15 in Rio won over the world with her talent, her grace, and all that comes with being a 15-year-old. Awkwardness, honesty, authenticity versus someone polished by spin doctors. You take a month off and you go away with your sister and you're I saw a couple of interviews. I went to every concert. I don't care if it was country and western or what. I just I was just a kid. Yeah. I was having fun. During that month, you know, you're recalibrating and you're charging your batteries, but did you ever once think that maybe that's the life I now want and just leave swimming or was this just you just needed a chance to to breathe a bit before you got back into training? I mean, I think that's the life everyone kind of wants, but it's obviously not sustainable. So, I think I knew that I can have my fun now. I can literally go and do everything, but you need to get back into it at one point. And I think it's just about finding that balance when you get back into it of not all work all the time and not all stress all the time. And I've really worked on figuring out how to balance my time a lot better so I'm not overworked and overstressed. Um, And I think that's just honestly the key of it. So you talk about two mentors. One was a friend that showed up, Bianca Andrescu, who just had won at 19 the U.S. Open. So probably took a little pressure off of you. There was another incredibly uh, charismatic uh, female athlete. And I I was at the Raptor game where you were sitting in front. Like I sit four or five rows back and you guys were just connected. Like it was like it wasn't a stage Raptor mascot coming over. You guys were having a lot of fun. And then Michael Phelps, who signed you for a a, you know, swimsuit thing and becomes like this big brother mentor. Tell me what both of those have done to kind of help you define who you are. I think starting with Michael, um, he and I connect on a lot of levels with uh, swimming and kind of being, it's, I hate saying it, but like breakout stars in like our countries for swimming. I was able to relate to him with so many things and that was super great for me knowing that like you can relate to the Michael Phelps and he is like there to support me all the time and I can reach out to him whenever for advice or help with making decisions which is great with Bianca uh she's just honestly a really good friend of mine and I always support her and I love watching her play and she's always supporting me and always messaging me and I think just having someone that you can message and no context complain about what's going on in your life. And they kind of understand you and see where you're coming from is a really huge thing. And it's just nice to have that person that I can literally rant to or talk to or talk about what's going well in my life. And she's always there to talk and she's always down to like have a FaceTime or a chat, which is always great. One person said to me a long time ago that when you're at the top, it's the most lonely place to be. Because it's hard to share those emotions and it's hard to talk to other people because they expect you to be perfect and flawless and accomplished and successful and winning. So it must be wonderful to have people like that that have been there are on their own roller coaster of, you know, being a champion to know that you that you can trust them and share anything. So that's that's wonderful. That's what I guess good friends are all about. Definitely. So talk to me a little bit about the book Michael Phelps gave you to read. Um, It's called The Power of Now. 
And I love it. Great book. I literally recommend it to everyone. And I gave it to my mom. My mom loves it. It's the first book of like self-improvement books that I've read. And now I'm obsessed with like self-improvement books and I'm always reading them because of that one. And really, I'm really grateful that he gave me that because it really changed my mindset on like life pretty much. So tell me how it did that. Like what what would be the, if you're in an elevator and you're pitching me this book because I didn't look like I was having a great day, what would be the key takeaway from that book? Just like living in the moment and really appreciating what you have and where you're at and giving yourself um, just positive reinforcement that things are going to be okay and that you are going to move forward. And maybe right now you don't have to, but you will in the future and kind of just how to get there. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm not really good at pitching things, but I do love the book. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about Tokyo Olympics. Or, I mean, COVID, the, the delays and everything else must be just a sledgehammer for athletes as you're kind of gearing up. But when do you shift from a mindset of all the insecurities that come when you know you're going to be swimming against the best in the world to a, to the mindset that says, I can be the best in the world? How does that happen in an athlete? You honestly just need to do that. I think um, preparing for the Olympics, I'm really grateful that I had that extra year. I think a lot of people took it and they were like, oh my gosh, another year getting ready. And I took it as a year to get better and just really perfect the small things. And um, I'm really lucky with the whole setup I have and everything. And I don't know, just kind of getting to move forward is always exciting. and. I have a good setup. And it's interesting where I, you know, a lot of people talk about COVID, some people worst experience, some of the best. And you talked about living with your boyfriend and a good friend of yours, and it kind of really helped you think through choices and nutrition and all, it's a lot of this positive energy. Is that is that really how you take that experience? Yeah, I mean, as much as it was a terrible time when COVID first hit, I was really lucky to surround myself with two really important people in my life. And we tried to make the best of it as much as we could. We went on walks, we would make really good food. Um, I was like kind of training when I felt like training and I wasn't, I would take days off when I felt like taking days off. And my boyfriend and my best friend were there to like support me through all of it. And it was just really great to have them around the whole time. Tell me about as an Olympic athlete, how important is things like RBC's training ground and other platforms that are made available so that aspiring athletes have an opportunity to, to, uh, to own that podium. I don't know. I honestly can't say enough good things about RBC and that's not just because I've been partnered with them, but they are really one of my biggest supporters and I love being partnered with them. Um, I think seeing as like a lot of companies don't want to sponsor athletes right now because of COVID and, it's really difficult to kind of get sponsors at the moment. I just knowing that RBC sticks around and they're behind you for that extra year of training is really awesome. And um, I can speak personally to the RBC training ground, not from my experience, but my sister actually did it and she got into bobsledding for a while and she was really good at it. And she loved the whole process and the whole experience and how streamlined it is and easy and, it's free and you can literally sign up and go. And there are really great scouts there that will pick you up. And 
I've honestly seen a lot of athletes from when I went to the national final who sometimes scare me a little bit. I was like, I really hope you don't go into swimming because you might kick me out. But um, I don't know. I just I love what they're doing and I love that they support athletes 100 percent. And they're always behind us and always trying to find the next best ones, which is honestly even better. Full disclosure, RBC also sponsors my podcast and radio show, so I, I love them equally as much. So it's uh, they are an incredible organization. They just do so much for Canada, which is wonderful. Yeah. Coming up, we asked this Olympic gold medalist, is she ready to do Canada proud again in Tokyo? I have talked to a few young girls and I guess younger athletes in general, just telling me that I've inspired them to take up a sport or get more interested in a sport, I guess. And it's been a pretty great feeling for me just knowing that there's people that look up to you and there's people that are trying something new because they see you excel in it. And just being able to be a role model like that's a pretty great feeling. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Welcome back to Chatter That Matters. Today I'm chatting with Penny Oleksiak. The real 2016 Olympic Games, 15-year-old Penny wins four medals, including a gold in the 100-meter freestyle. I have a large radio audience that's going to want to cheer you on and uh, obviously my podcast audience, but how are you feeling? How, are you excited? Tell us about how you're feeling and how do you think the swim team's feeling? I'm feeling very excited. I think I've kind of said it a lot. I've been trying to get into that mindset I was in before Rio where I have no expectations. I think right now I don't, I haven't seen a lot of chatter of my name being in the medal contention. So I kind of love that, honestly, because it's going to motivate me to be a faster and be better. Also kind of love that we haven't had the opportunity to race much this year because the way that the girls train at the center is pretty intense and they're always on top of it and they're always really fast. So I'm really excited to be on relays with those girls and see how fast we can be and just surprise everyone a little bit, I hope. Well, I think they're, yeah, you won over uh, Canada no matter what happens. And when you come back, is this your last Olympics, do you know, or are you going to, what's next? No, for no. My dad already told me I have to at least go to Paris because he loves Paris. It's his favorite city. So uh, I'm locked down until at least then. But then after that, you never know. <laughs> Any thoughts of what after would be like, or is it just too early to tell? I don't know. I, I try to live, live in the now. As, as the book says, yeah. So I, I go day by day pretty much or week by week. So Penny, thank you so much for joining me in Chatter That Matters. And you won, won the hearts of so many Canadians in the last Olympics. And that shy, awkward girl that just was the most innocent. I just tried to swim the last 50 yards and, you know, has <laughs> just matured into such a wonderful lady. And I thank you so much for being a part of Chatter That Matters, especially during this uh, intense training period. Yes, thank you so much. Joining me now is Evan McInnes. You're uh, one of the architects of the whole RBC training ground. In fact, the way you were presented to me is East Coast, brilliant, crosses the country, passionate, will do whatever you can for Canadians to own the podium. So that's quite an introduction. Maybe explain to the listeners what Evan McInnes does. What does Evan McInnes do? Um, so I've been working with this, uh, with RBC and the RBC training ground since 2016, since uh, the very first event. And um, up until recently, I've been just looking after the East Coast, uh, the Maritimes, Atlanta, Canada, uh, making sure that all of the regional events uh, happen, 
and, and making sure that RBC training ground is, is promoted properly. And, and so we can find those diamonds in the rough so we can mine out where are those athletes across the country. And by hosting multiple events, uh, you know, 30 plus 40 events per year in as many communities as we possibly can to see where are these Olympians at? Where, are, where is this future talent? When you see there's potential in somebody, how do you move that along? Because it's got to be one of the toughest gauntlets in the world from being an inspiring athlete to someone that's actually going to compete. Absolutely. I mean, I was an aspiring athlete who never quite got there for some, some obvious reasons. But I think what you do is you combine that talent with an opportunity. And that's what's really important. And what RBC has done really well is making those connections with those key technical people, those key coaches to have a conversation with those athletes to say, you are a pure athlete. You may have come from a team sport or from other sports. And, and you would say, we can get you on the podium. You know, we've got four or five athletes already nominated to uh, Tokyo. So what happens within the training ground? Just give us sort of a, because, you know, we're all going to be fans and we see the person standing, hopefully a lot of Canadians on the podium, but what goes on behind the scenes? We work pretty closely with our partners, namely our national sport organizations uh, that help us identify and develop the talent. Uh, and we also work with the Canadian uh, Olympic Institute Network, where the, the expertise does the testing for the athletes in this broad, you know, pretty straightforward testing, all of the things that were exciting when we were kids, the beep tests, you know, the jumps, the sprints, all that stuff. And then we take that information and we have thousands of athletes each year, um, pour through the data, share the information with the uh, national team technical leads. And then uh, they say, you know, we, we want to get an extra look at this athlete or these, these athletes that could be from anywhere. And then uh, the next step is you know, give it a try. Go out and a, uh, you know, do a trampoline set for freestyle ski or get out on the water in a rowing shell or in a, a canoe kayak. And then see, does the talent match the drive, match the commitment? And the drive and commitments and intangibles, how do you, I can understand how you measure performance, but drive, commitment, grit, you know, not wanting to quit when you just feel like you just don't want to do it anymore. That's a harder thing to measure, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like a, a standard test that says, oh, they've scored this on grit or they've scored this on, on drive. It's, I guess it's the art to sport is when, you, when a, a coach can identify that fire inside. You know, if, you, if you're in a sport like canoe kayak or rowing, do you want to get up at 4.40 in the morning. That's usually the first, <laughs> the first test. You like being cold. You like being wet. And if you can get through that, you can do anything. But these, these athletes, um, their, their skill level is so high. And, and usually with that skill level comes that, that determination and that drive. And it's, can, can they fall in love with a sport? So Canada coming into the Tokyo Olympics. I mean, I loved it when we started framing it, owning the podium. Are we going to own the podium there? I think we'll do a pretty good job. It's a very interesting Olympics that are coming up in you know just just over a month now, which is which is amazing to think about. We haven't seen enough international competition to know where we stand, but you know going into two thousand in the two thousand nineteen World Championships, uh, there was a lot of great performances from Penny and the team in swimming. You know, athletics is always a heavy contender. Um, we'll see what 
the rugby sevens teams can do with women's soccer. Like there's, there's a lot of, a lot of hype and excitement. And, and I think um, we're going to continue to build on how well we did in, in Rio, which was, which was actually a really good Olympics. Um, and, and I think like to tie this back into RBC trainer, we got some really good cyclists and rowers that uh, were identified for their sports through the program that, that could be in around uh, the hunt for a medal, which is always exciting. Evan, we're uh, happy that Canada has someone like you that uh, dedicates so much time to uh, to being part of it because I know that uh, RBC values what you do and I certainly know that the athletes get immense value from a training ground and uh, and that passion that you bring to it. Thanks for that, Tony. I think, you know, the, the saying of love what you do, you won't work a day in your life. That's, you know, nobody's going to complain uh, with, with a position like this. It's, it's, it's awesome just to spend time with, with the athletes and the coaches who have really dedicated their craft and just a small little bit that we can help out, that we can support that, that team that's doing the work. That's what it's all about. The most important thing that I learned from Penny today was live in the now. She's got a silver, she's got two bronze, and Alexiak has the gold medal! I love the Olympics and on so many levels. I'm so proud of all who represent Canada and all who tried to do so and all who supported your efforts. Your desire, your dedication, your passions are truly world-class and how you carry yourself on the field and in the pool and in front of the cameras remind me why being Canadian makes me one of the luckiest people on the planet. Here's to the Tokyo Games. Go Canada, go. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network.